today we begin our third week of the ebook, our back to school series called the ebook, which is a study in the uh, book of Ephesians. So as we get started this morning, uh, it was just about a week and a half, two weeks ago now that most of our students went back to school. Hard to believe that happened. But one of the things that I've discovered about uh, every school year is before the first day of school happens, every parent with a child and pretty much every student, they either go to the school that they're going to attend or they get on that school's website and they look for the school supply list. And it is really kind of amazing all of the things that you're supposed to bring with you to school. I, I went online and, uh, and I got this off of the Mount Vernon uh, school website and this is, this is the supply list that I downloaded for all of the different school supplies and the grade levels in, in Mount Vernon. And you may be surprised to know, if you haven't done this in a long time, that even kids in kindergarten are supposed to bring a whole bunch of supplies. It's like, man, you don't just show up at school. You don't even just show up at kindergarten. You have to bring stuff. And um, part of me thought that that's just stupid. I mean, it's, there are four and five-year-olds. Why in the world do they have to bring stuff to kindergarten? But as I thought about that a little while, something occurred to me. Uh, some of you may be aware of this. Many years ago, there was a book that was written called Everything I Needed to Learn About Life I Learned in Kindergarten. May have you ever heard of that book? There's a bunch of you, okay. So in other words, the author of that book is suggesting that everything you really need to know about life, you learned in kindergarten. So if that's true, and in some ways, I think it is, I mean, one of the lessons I learned was it, you don't throw sand in girls' faces and pull their pigtails if you want them to like you. I learned that. And so when I met Leslie, I did not throw sand in her face and pull her pigtails and see how that worked out. I mean, it was great. So there's some really important lessons that you learn in kindergarten. And one of those lessons is whatever you're going to do, you need the proper supplies to do it. That is a rule of life that you can take to the bank and it starts all the way back in kindergarten. Whatever you do in life, you need the proper supplies. And I would say there's really two components to that. You need to know what you have to have and you need to know where to get it, right? You need to know what you gotta have and you need to know where to go get it. So with that in mind, we'll move into our message for today from our ebook. So open up your ebook, Ephesians. Some of you will have that on your digital devices which are now signed into our network. Some of you will have hard copies. Open up your Bible, whether it's digital or hard copy, to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. All right. Now, before we begin reading in Ephesians chapter three, I wanna remind you of a couple of things from the first two chapters that we've looked at. So in chapter one, we realize that God is saying to each and every one of you this morning, that you are enough. 
you're enough. You don't have to, to try to follow along with the world's way of thinking. You don't have to follow along and pursue what the world pursues. You don't have to try to get what the world gets to have what the world's have, what the world has. You don't have to think the way the world thinks in order to get their seal of approval. Why? Because you already have God's seal of approval. If you belong to Jesus, you already have his seal of approval. So you don't need that from the rest of the world because you've already got it from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he says that you're enough. But then Paul reminds us in chapter two, you are enough, but don't get too full of yourself. Don't get so, so arrogant that you start patting yourself on the back and you forget where you came from, right? Don't forget where you came from because when you do, you forget that it was God who did all the work and not you. See, God is the one who did all of these things up here. God provided all of those things up there. He's the one who did the work, not you, and it is God who will continue to do the work of giving you and me everything we need to accomplish his purpose in our life. So don't forget where you came from. So as we let those things sort of resonate in our mind, let's begin reading in verse one of chapter three. This morning I'm reading again from the New Living Translation. So if you've got a digital copy and you don't have that, you can flip over to the New Living Translation and you should be able to follow along exactly. All right, beginning in verse one. Paul said, when I think of all this, all this stuff that we just talked about in those first two chapters, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you, assuming, by the way, that you know that God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan, that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news, which means the gospel. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Heavenly Father, as we read your word this morning, as we wrestle with your word this morning, I pray that you will as, as Elijah prayed for his servant, that you will let the scales fall off of our eyes. 
God, that we will see spiritual realities and spiritual truth in ways that we have never seen them before. Lord, Paul said that he was the least deserving. And sometimes as I I stand here to bring a message, I understand what Paul felt. It, It just, it's such an overwhelming privilege and yet such a weighty responsibility to to bring forth your word and God I am I'm not worthy but none of us are but it's the calling you've placed on my life and so I pray today that you will use what you've given me to prepare this week and that you will stir the hearts of your people in this church so that the gospel this good news will spread far and wide beyond this place in Jesus name all God's people said amen all right so here's Paul who says in verse 8 that he is the least deserving of all people to do what he's doing now you may be a guest here this morning and you don't really know what Paul is saying why he's saying that he's the least deserving or you may be a regular and you still don't really know that much about Paul and why he is saying that he's the least deserving to do this Well, let me explain it to you. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Paul was literally responsible for the execution of Christians in those days. Paul was going around making sure that people who said they were Christians were put to death. And now, here he is saying, the Lord is good. And so here's Paul who is as far away from God as you can possibly be. And some of you may identify with that this morning. Some of you may feel like, I feel like I'm as far away from God as I can possibly be. And yet in spite of that, and in spite of the fact that Paul was literally sentencing Christians to death, God had a plan for his life. He says so right there in the first few verses of the chapter. And to quote an often heard phrase, not only did God have a plan for Paul's life, God has a plan for your life too. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life no matter what your background is, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done. Now, here's the thing. Is that just because God has a plan for our lives, that does not necessarily mean that you and I are going to discern it. It doesn't mean that we're going to realize it. It doesn't mean that we're going to get it or understand it. And even if we do, it doesn't mean that we're actually going to do it. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, but that does not mean that you're gonna understand it, and if you understand it, it doesn't mean that you'll even be willing to do it. You know why? Because God has given you and me and everybody else something we call free will. Because God's a gentleman. God doesn't force himself on anybody. He offers us opportunity to follow him and to walk in his blessing, but he always gives us free will. And so every day, you and I have to choose to surrender and yield ourselves to God and to be obedient to him in order to understand and walk in the plan that he's got for our lives. 
So let me introduce you this morning briefly to a guy who had an understanding that God did have a plan for his life. And let's see if we can relate that to Paul and to us. All right, so hold your place in Ephesians chapter three and flip back to the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. And if you go to Psalms, Psalms is like right in the middle of your Bible, Psalms and Proverbs, and then you just start turning to the right, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, then another big book, Isaiah, and then Jeremiah is right after that. Jeremiah chapter one. All right. So in verse four, we read this. Jeremiah says, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. So here's Jeremiah. And before he was even born, he was chosen. Before he drew a breath, he was chosen. And he was chosen for a particular purpose. Now, if we believe that, and we should because the Bible says that, and the Bible is the word of God and it is trustworthy and it has been proven to be trustworthy in everything that it says. If God had a specific purpose for Jeremiah's life, then that would by default mean that before Jeremiah was born, that God had to have a conscious thought, what do I want him to do? Right? Makes sense? If there's something in particular that I've got for him, then God had to make a choice, what do I want him to do? Now, let me ask you, how many of me in here are engineers or architects? If you're an engineer and architect, raise your hand. Let me see you. Okay, just a, just a few. All right, you guys help me out. There's a well-known engineering and architectural phrase that says form follows what? Function. Form follows function. Now, what does that mean? That means that when you're going to build something, first you determine what its purpose is. What are you gonna do with it, right? And then what it's for, what you're going to do with it, will determine how it's designed, how it's built, how it's conceived, because it has to be able to accomplish the purpose for which it was being built, right? So the form follows the function, the intended purpose. Now, you may or may not be aware, but that, the guy that came up with that was about 1896. His name was Lewis Sullivan. And he's actually from our neck of the woods. He did a lot of his work in Chicago. There's even a few buildings in St. Louis that he designed. And, th- and that, those buildings came right after he kind of came up with this phrase that form follows function. You, I bet you didn't know that. So even though he's absolutely dead on the money, I don't think he was the first one to have that idea. Because I'm pretty sure that God was the one that had that idea first. That form follows function. So as he's creating Jeremiah with a specific purpose in mind, then doesn't it make sense that he would make Jeremiah according to what he would need to be in order to accomplish the plan and the purpose that God had for him? Yes. 
Yes, okay. Now, I want you to ask yourself this morning, do you really believe that God knew you before you were born? Now, see, I think, I think spiritually and intellectually, we want to say yes to that. That we believe that God knew us before we were born. But by extension of what we read from Paul, by extension of what we see in Jeremiah, if God knew us before we were born and he had a plan for us before we were born. And remember, Ephesians 2.10, you remember that verse? If you don't remember, let me flip back real quick and read it to you. Ephesians 2.10 said this, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us when? Long ago. Okay, Ephesians 2.10. We were created to do the good things God planned for us long ago. So if we believe that God knew us before we were born, and we believe Ephesians 2.10, that we were, we're his masterpiece, created to do the good works that he planned for us long ago, then by default, God knows what his plan for you was and designed you accordingly. Does that make sense, yes or no? Okay, just wanna, just wanna make sure that I'm, I'm connecting here. All right, let's look at Psalm 139. So this is a passage of scripture that many of you are familiar with. And here's, here's what the psalmist wrote. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 15. Psalmist says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. See, the psalmist understood that God knew him before he drew a breath, that God was present in the design of him before he ever drew a breath, that nothing about his life was hidden before he ever drew a breath. And when he came out of the womb, God had already had a plan and a purpose in place for his life. And church, you and I are no different. God has a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. And as I think about that, and as I look at Psalm 139, a thought comes across my mind, and it's this. Is that God has a diary for every day of my life. And I wonder to myself sometimes, how many pages of that diary are stamped unfulfilled because of unbelief? Unfulfilled because of stubbornness, 
unfulfilled because of pride. Unfulfilled because of any number of things that you can come up with. I wonder sometimes how many of the pages that represent the days of my life in the diary that God has on my life are stamped with unfulfilled because I simply would not bring myself in alignment with God. And it saddens me. It saddens me when I think of how many pages might actually have that on them. And it challenges me and it drives me to make sure that as I continue to move forward through my life that there are fewer and fewer pages that have that stamp. Amen? So I don't, I don't wanna get to the end of my life and look back on all of those pages and see all of the opportunities that I missed all of the things that I did not accomplish simply because I would not believe and take God at his word. And I sure pray this morning that you have that same conviction. You don't wanna get to the end of your life and see that stamped on a bunch of pages. You wanna live to the fullest ability that God has placed in you for his glory and to spread the kingdom. So as I think about that, it challenges me. It's a check in my spirit. And as I said already, just the fact that God has a plan for our life, it doesn't mean that we're gonna get it. And it doesn't mean that we're gonna do it. So that, let's look back at Jeremiah again. And let's continue to kind of see how he worked through this. In verse six of Jeremiah chapter one, we read this. Jeremiah, in responding to God's plan for his life, says, oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak. I can't speak for you. I'm too young. How many excuses do we have, right? How many excuses do we have for why we can't do what God wants us to do? Jeremiah said, I can't speak. I'm too young. And the Lord replied, don't say that. Don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people. For I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then the Lord reached out and he touched my mouth and he said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. So here was Jeremiah, just like so many of us, showing, you know, throwing out another excuse. I, hey, I can't do that, God. I can't do that. I'm too young. I'm too slow. I'm too old. I don't know enough. I don't like this. I don't want to go there. And God says, don't you dare say that. Because I will give you, Jeremiah, I will give you each person in Orchardville Church, I will give you everything you need to accomplish the function for which I made you. That's what he's saying. The point of that is that whatever God is calling you to do, whatever God has prepared for you to do, he will also equip you to do. Now, let me share a story about golf. I love football and I love golf. Those are my two sports, man. I love those two things. So quite a few years ago, um, I was asked to come out and speak at a men's conference in Hawaii. <laughs> I'm like, yes, Lord. 
Um, God is good all the time. And um, so, now I know a lot of times, I mean, if somebody heard, hey, I'm getting to go to Hawaii, I mean, you're thinking beaches and, you know, pineapples and surfing and all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking golf. I know I'm twisted, but that's, that's who God made me. And I'm like, I am taking, I'm going to Hawaii. I am taking my clubs. So I did. I, I put the clubs on the plane. I took my clubs out to Hawaii. And uh, so I, I get out on the first course. We're playing a military course uh, right on the ocean. It's absolutely gorgeous. I'm playing with a retired general. And uh, it was so cool. And uh, I, you prob- some of you may have no idea anything about golf whatsoever. And uh, so there's, there's 14 clubs in a golf bag. I mean, that's all you can have. There are people who carry more, but they're cheating. All right, you can have 14 clubs in your golf bag. And they're all designed to do something a little different. So every club, when I pull out this U club, that stands for utility wedge, I know that this club should hit the ball about 130 yards. Well, I can't hit the ball 230 yards with this. So if I need to hit the ball 230 yards, I got a different club for that, right? So with all 14 clubs combined, I should be able to do anything that I need to do while I'm engaging in this round of golf. One of the clubs that I use the most is a nine iron, all right? Now, a nine iron hits the ball about 150 yards, uh, give or take a few, and that's called a scoring club for me. It's, it's a scoring club because when you, when you hit certain clubs on a regular basis into the green and get close to the hole, that's called a scoring club. So for me, a nine iron is really important. I hit it quite a few times in every round of golf. So probably two or three holes in, I already need my nine iron. And I go over to my bag and I look for my nine iron and uh, it's not there. What? Man, I'm like, I'm playing golf in Hawaii. I want to have the best round of my life and I need my nine iron. And it wasn't there. So we go, we go driving back down the last couple holes that we played. Anybody see a nine iron? Anybody see nothing? Like, I haven't played one, but maybe it fell out of my bag. I don't know. Nobody's seen a nine iron. And the only thing that I could think of was that somehow in the shipping process, the nine iron came out of my bag or somebody stole it. I don't know, but I don't have my nine iron. And so I'm playing on this beautiful course, hoping to have the round of my life, and I'm just trying to make do with clubs that just are not right for what I'm trying to do. I was so frustrated. So on about the 16th or 17th hole, and there's 18 holes in golf, so I'm almost finished. I get to the 16th or 17th hole, and uh, I, I come to my ball in the fairway, and I need a six iron. So I go over to my, my bag, and I pull out my six iron, which have these uh, covers on them. And uh, you can see that says six. And I pulled it off. And there was my nine iron. You should have taken me. That would have blown the whole golf thing. I got my priorities. (laughs) All right, you see that says six, right? That looks like a nine. Somehow or another, 
I had put the wrong cover on my nine iron. Now, what is the point of this story? And by the way, I was so, I, I, I had one of those kind of like bittersweet moments right there on the golf course. I was so thankful that I had my nine iron, but I was so dadgum mad that I just played this whole round of golf without the club that I really need. But here's, here's the reason I tell you this story. The club that I needed was right there in my bag the entire time. The entire time. Here's what I want you to understand from that story, church. That like Jeremiah and like Paul, whatever God has called you to, whatever he has purposed for you in your life, he has equipped you for it. And everything you need to accomplish what he has given you to do is in your bag. Sometimes we don't recognize it. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't want to see it. But it's there. Why? Because God equips us to accomplish the very thing that he has purposed us to do. Now, there was a place in the New Testament where Jesus said, he was given some advice through a parable and he said, don't build a tower unless you count the cost first, right? Remember that story? So in other words, don't, don't try to take something on until you make sure that you've got what you need to do the job. Do you think Jesus doesn't take his own advice? See, the thing is, is that when God purposed you, he already counted the cost of what he was designing you to do. He didn't leave you empty-handed. He didn't leave a club out of your bag. He put it there. It's there. You just got to look. And as Thomas said when Jesus rose from the grave, he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. See, I think a lot of times we want to believe that God's got the right club in our bag, but at the same time, we don't. We don't want to believe it. You know why? Because we don't want to bother. Let's continue reading. Verses 10 and 12 in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So what Paul says there is that because of all the things that Christ has done, we may have felt for all of our lives, like we were all of these ugly labels, that like we were unworthy, that we had no business coming into the presence of God. But because of what Christ has done, he relabels us and gives us these, and he says, because of this, we can come boldly and confidently into the presence of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, let me, let me spiritualize that a little bit because this is not exactly what this verse is saying, 
but I think you can extend the meaning. Have you ever had somebody that you were afraid to go talk to? You know, like the principal, you know, if you're in school, don't you hate getting called in the principal's office? Like, ooh, no. Like, you just, this, this can't be good. If I'm getting called in the principal, it cannot be good. Or you get called in the boss's office. That usually isn't good. Or, you know, trying to talk to your wife, man, I mean, like, man, that's scary. <laughs> we know what it feels like to be scared to talk to somebody, right? Paul says, if we can have the confidence and the courage to boldly come into the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then by golly, we ought to be able to have the confidence and the courage and the boldness to speak to anybody. If we can come into the one who holds everything in his hands, then we ought to be able to go to anybody and have a conversation about whatever. Does that make sense? All right. So quick question. What kind of things do we need God's boldness and his courage in order to have those conversations? What is God's purpose and plan? Well, I may not be speaking specifically to your exact purpose and plan, but I can tell you one of God's purposes and plans for everybody is to share the good news of the gospel, right? And can we all be honest? Scares most of us in here to death, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Most of us are so scared to share the good news of the gospel to the point where we will almost never do it. And how can I say that? Because churches are full of people who will just absolutely not share the gospel. It's just a fact. Whatever you need, whether it's this one, whether it's this one, this is one of my favorites, by the way. That's a South Carolina Gamecock. Whether it's this one, whatever club that you need, whatever tool you need, whatever gift, skill, or talent that you need in order to accomplish God's purpose of sharing the gospel in your life, it's in here. Do you understand that? See, the challenge for most of us is not really believing that it's in there, it's not wanting it to be in there. Because if we think it's not in there or we can say that it's not in there, then that relieves us from responsibility. Well, I can't play that shot. I don't have a club that'll hit at 150 yards, so that's what's required for this situation, so I just can't play that one. And so we just move on, why? Because we don't have the club in our bag. But God says, oh yes you do. Because I made you. And I equipped you to accomplish my purpose in the world in the course of your life. And when we have that moment, that opportunity to share the gospel, and we act like that club, that skill, that talent, that gift is not in our bag to do it, you know what gets on that page of that diary of our life? Unfulfilled. There's any number of other things that can fall into that category of the things that we need the confidence and the courage and the boldness to go do. And we skip them because we like to think and we pretend as if the club is not already in our bag. 
And God says, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Let's finish out this chapter. Verse 14. Paul says, when I think of all this, when I think of all what? When I think of all that God has already done, all that he's provided for us, how he's loved us, how he's provided and prepared for us, how he's equipped us, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. That your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And that may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is one of the most magnificent, inspiring passages in the entire Bible. That you would know how high, how deep, how broad, how long the love of God is. That your roots would grow down deep and that to him who is able to do infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. That we will embrace that and live that out day after day after day. So that the world will see God in us and through us. And one of the things I love about that passage is I think it's such a, a great example to us of the difference between our thinking and God's. So when we start thinking about what maybe we can do and what God wants us to do, let me show you a picture of how I think most of us conceive of what God wants. So we think, well, God wants us to do something, and so we start thinking about what we can do. And we start thinking about what we're capable of. And I think this probably is a pretty good representation of how most of us conceive of what, what we can do for God. But in our heart of hearts, if we allow ourselves to dream, then it gets a little bigger than this. Right? And you look at that and you go, man, that is, that is so cool. That is, that is way beyond what I would have imagined to begin with. And, and you... If you dare to dream, this, this might be a representation of what you dare to dream. But it's still, you look at that like, there's no way that's going to happen. It'd be really cool, but no way that's going to happen. But what God sees 
You get what I'm saying? Do you understand what Paul is saying? This is what is possible with God. Man, we got to get out of the small birdhouse building mindset and get into the God mindset because it's not about your skills and your ability. It's understanding that God has already given everything that we need and he is infinitely more able to do far beyond we can ask or imagine. Amen. Paul says to him, be glory in the church through all generations, forever and ever. 